Thank you very much. Gad didn't introduce himself. Okay, this is yeah. Professor Gad Human, who used to run the Centre for Caribbean Studies at Warwick University and has been extremely yeah. supportive in this venture to me, and his name is on the back cover, so you, you'll have to... That's a in, permanent endorsement. Um, so, yes, thank you for coming. Thank you for the Institute for hosting this, and Kate and Steve. On my left, my far left, is... Uh, I have two Dominicans here to support me. Um, Reverend Huey Andrews, um, who is Methodist minister, activist, preacher, teacher, and was the co-founder of the Queen Mother Moore Saturday School, one of the first Saturday schools in the country. Um, so thank you, um, Huey. Also, I've known Huey for a very long time. And Cathy McLean, who, another Dominican, who is a teacher, works in the Institute of Education, and is writing a biography of her grandfather, who was J.J. Ralph Casime, who was a, the founding organiser in Dominica of Marcus Garvey's Universal Negro Improvement Association, mm -hmm. and also he was linked to the, um, to the Harlem Renaissance. So they will be reading, and I will be talking a little bit and explaining about um, this book. I think it's probably best described as a collection of documents, original documents, woven together with some explanatory text, and um, about focusing on a series of trials that were held in Dominica in 1813 and 1814, the trials marked the end of a fierce guerrilla war that had been waged between the colonial authorities under the notorious um, governor George Ainsley, of which, of whom more anon, and the uh, Maroons, the escaped slaves, the Maroons and their allies on the estates, and this was an important relationship. The defendants in the trials were either Maroons or the defendants, the um, enslaved who were charged with aiding and abetting the Maroons. The Maroons were charged with just solely being Maroons. Mm -hmm. By the end of the trials, 13 people, 10 men, 3 women, had been executed in the marketplace in Roseau, the capital of Dominica. Mm -hmm. And when Joseph Sturge, the Quaker, goes there, uh, to Dominica in um, 20 years later after emancipation he's sent there to see what's happened to emancipation he's told that in the marketplace the well is no one will drink from the well because it's been so tainted by the blood That's of true. the executed so I tried to put the um, trials into context by describing Dominican society at the time and included correspondence between Governor Ainsley and the Colonial Office in London. Um, I've also included some newspaper reports and also comments made by in, by, in the House of Commons by both critics and um, defenders of um, Ainsley's conduct. You can find um, the trials, which I transcribed. They are all in the National Archive queue, 
Um, and I have to thank my friend Catherine Lord, who is there, for first alerting me to the presence of, um, of these trials. I'd like to you all to think of this book, really, as just a beginning, because um, I think so much more can be evaluated and assessed about, about both the strengths and weaknesses of maroon society in Dominique and also about the relationship of the UK towards its um, West Indian colonies. So the information is there for you. It's raw material to taste and chew on and I hope to do some more work on for anybody to do the work really I've just that's I think my job is sort of finished although um, I'd love to probe more but I'd love other people to look at this this subject more too so why were these trials important first of all they put an end to this long period of maroon strength on the island um, it was said that the Dominican maroons were the best organized and the strongest and the um, after the Jamaican Maroons. And of course, um, as you know, the Jamaican Maroons negotiated a settlement with the British um, and survived. Um, the Dominican Maroons did not. The trials also add significantly to our knowledge of Maroon society in the forests, in freedom and life on the estates. Mm -hmm. They show particularly this importance between the two, those two parties. We also hear the voices um, in the trials of the Maroons and the enslaved, even if you know, we have to temper it by the fact that this is all filtered through um, colonial authorities. They also tell us about the colonial mindset at the time. So to put it crudely, essentially, um, the British were keen for the Maroons to be defeated, but it had to be done according to um, the rules of the game. And um, colonial servants such as Ainsley had to play by the rules and be, as of now, fit for purpose. So... Um, here we are, Dominica, Eastern Caribbean, just a little bit of history and geography, Eastern Caribbean between Guadeloupe and Martinique. Um, it was now, it's now independent, of course, but it was the last colony to be, um, the last island to be colonised in the Caribbean. 1763, it became British. And when it became British, it became a sugar and slavery colony. And this is important in terms of the Maroons because it was this repressive plantation society that triggered an exodus of the enslaved from the estates. Now, this map of Dominica tells you a lot because it tells you how advantageous the island was if you um, were a maroon. The grey area shows the mountains, the, the, the white area around the coast, which is actually a rather generous amount of white, flat um, country, which is, is plantation society. And then the, the dark grey black areas are the strongholds of the maroons. So it was a place of asylum. The mountains were a place of asylum. You can see from these pictures that this is what this is contemporary Dominica. 
So it's a place of um, you know, mountains, ravines, rivers, waterfalls, goes on and on and on. It seems as if it's a, a continent rather than a very small mm-hmm. island. This um, mountain in, is called um, Montneg Maron, which literally means black um, maroon mountain. So these mountains are, um, were a perfect place of refuge for the Maroons to live in freedom and to establish well-organised social, military, economic communities. By the time that Ainsley had arrived in 1813, some Maroons, there were Maroons who'd been in the forest for decades. Though by then there were probably about a thousand maroons in the forest getting increasingly confident as their numbers increased and they were attacking the estates to great effect. It would, people said that the colony was um, on the threat of the verge of collapse. Well, that was from the perspective of the white settlers. That's how they saw it. So here is Governor Ainsley. Um, He was a Scot, an ex-soldier who'd had a very undistinguished career as a soldier. He went to, he was first, um, he went to Grenada where he was Lieutenant Governor. He left under a bit of a cloud to apparently hissing as as he left (laughs) on the boat. Um, And he was known to be of an intemperate nature. Um, This first reading that I want to ask Huey to read... um, is a letter that he writes to Lord Bathurst, Secretary of State for War in the Colonies, um, at the time. And Ainsley is really describing what maroon power is like. So, Polly, thank you for asking me to be here. Oh, I must let the time. audience know that with some mixed feelings because I am also Dominican, born and bred in Dominica, and understand, I think, I still do understand, although I've been living here for some years now, both sides of Dominica, past and present. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you. It's lovely to have you. I will read it. People ignorant of the state of Dominica erroneously believe that the runaways are slaves who to avoid punishment for some venial or menial offense from a harsh master, run to the woods for a short time and then return to their duty. A few unfortunate, persecuted, isolated beings without concert, whose only inheritance is slavery, whose condition demands our pity. No apprehension, sir, can be greater. They are a bandit under government of a chief, sub-chiefs and captains, inhabiting country difficult beyond description, having regular outposts or compass, as they are called, in advance of the Grand Continent, where the chiefs resides, with provision grounds cleared for miles. This imperium, imperial, has been established about 30 years. It is the practice of these people to increase their number 
by inciting from their masters well-disposed Negroes, in which unfortunately they succeed too well, to the great loss of the planters, of whom a few months ago one advertised his estate for sale in the Gazette as his slaves had all run for, to the woods. Right, thank you. So I think that Ainsley has written this very convincing portrait of the, the Maroons, mm-hmm. this the idea of an imperio in, imperium in imperio, a state within a state, suggests that they really were extremely well established. And Ainsley goes on to say in that same letter that they become a threat to the colony and he mentions the Haitian Revolution and that it has animated the black population, which indeed is an important acknowledgement. So um, I think just to go on to explain a little bit about what the society was like, this was the colonial society that um, Ainsley was so keen to defend Here is a very romanticised image of the marketplace in Roseau, which indeed was the place of execution by um, a court painter called Antonio Brunius. At this point, there were some 22,000 slaves in Dominica, 3,000 free people of colour and about 1,300 white people. Um, The economy was weak, estates were in debt, the settler class squabbled, and Dominica was certainly not a plum destination. But a Scottish doctor, William Bremner, said that although the the island was torn by divisions in her internal politics, the white population were united in one thing, their hatred of the Maroons, Mm -hmm. so that when Ainsley arrives, he immediately sets to work to eradicate what um, was described as accumulating hordes. And defeat them he did. He defeated them through declaring martial law, um, so he was not constrained by the civil courts. Then there was his not-so-secret weapon, which was his loyal um, band of loyal Dominica rangers who were slaves who were recruited from the estates, they were fed, armed, and if they were, if they killed a, a maroon chief, they were promised their freedom and a sum of money. So that was quite an incentive. Before then, um, Ainsley had to rely on a bunch of militias who were sort of a home guard of probably very unfit <coughs> settlers who. Um, didn't really want to leave their their estates to go and chase the maroons in the forests, and um, they weren't very good at it anyhow. The other thing that really was a key to the defeat of the maroons was two hurricanes that had taken place in the summer of 1813. These had devastated the island's economy and the infrastructure, and you can imagine if you're in the forest, your provision grounds, these provision grounds that Ainsley had said went on for miles and miles and miles, um, had been destroyed. So in a sense, the um, maroons were also um, 
starved into submission. That was another element. Ainsley started his campaign by issuing these proclamations. I don't know if you could see this. He said that the maroons that are still in the woods, that the rangers have orders to take no prisoners, but put to death men, women, and children without exception. So this was a fairly um, ruthless start to his um, policy. This had a mixed effect. Some did indeed surrender, but it also made the Maroon chiefs more contemptuous of um, the colonial authorities. Now, the, um, here we see the contemporary picture. This is now the Dominican Museum, but this was actually the courthouse after the... It was a temporary courthouse mm -hmm. that um, was... Um, was used for these trials in 1813 and 1814. Two sorts of trials <coughs> took place. There were the civil trials, which indeed had a three magistrates, a, um, a, a lawyer figure, um, a jury, and a foreman. Um, but, of course, the enslaved had no representation. The trials in the book, um, these civil trials, um, there's very little detail apart from the sort of basic of who was charged, who sat on the, in on the cases, what the verdict was and what the punishment was. Um, people were sentenced to death, four people were sentenced to death in these civil trials. Um, most others were found guilty, but not all. But it is under martial law that the court's marshals were heard that we learn more about the nature of maroon society. Those who sat in judgment at the court's martial were the same militia who were so useless in hunting down the maroons. Um, and there was a judge advocate to give legal advice. But again, there was no representation for the defendants. What I asked myself was, when I first looked at this, these documents, was how accurate were these transcripts? You know, what did they tell us the whole story? Mm -hmm. And when um, a little clue that we have is that when Ainsley returned to, um, to England, he left behind, in, to stand in for him was this guy called Benjamin Lucas, who was a senior member of the House of Assembly. And Lord Bathurst, the boss in London, had asked to see the um, transcripts of the trials. And um, Benjamin Lucas has to send a groveling letter to Lord Bathurst saying, and Huey, if you could read this next section, this is the letter from, um, from Benjamin Lucas to Lord Bathurst. I have also been unable to get the minutes of the courts martial on the trials of runaway slaves, copied to go by this packet. The judge advocated them in so careless a manner and on separate sheets of paper with contractions, erasers, interlinations that the clerk and I employed for the occasion can with difficult difficulty read them. These, however, and minutes of the special sessions 
I shall also have the honor to transmit by the next packet. Okay, so he's, Lucas is saying basically that he's had a real problem um, getting the trial's evidence to um, London because the, um, the, the judge advocate who was in charge of the courts was so useless at, had written them out so badly that nobody could read them. So that's one constraint we have in that the evidence here that we see in the book may not be actually as full as it should be or as accurate as it should be. Um, much of the evidence, interestingly, is in reported speech. So, of course, reported speech gives an opportunity for words to be changed and meanings to be lost and so on. The evidence seems very patchy. If this were the only evidence available um, to convict the defendants, then the trials must have been even more unjust than they were at first glance. Another point that's interesting to make is that the evidence is usually written in standard English and it is probable that many of the defendants may not have, um, have understood or spoke English very well, either being French-speaking or because they've been recently come from Africa. Um, I think a lot of legal historians might be interested in, in looking at this work and seeing if that can be developed and they can analyse that further. So I'd like to look briefly to the evidence of a few of the courts martials to give you an idea of what we can learn from the trials. Um, the first, one of the first trials, this is Hillsborough Estate, where it's about some... Um, slaves from Hillsborough State on the mouth of the Lower River. The ruins above with the sad cow are, um, are how they are today, but that was where the sugar works was. And it revolved around the revolt of 20 slaves, and it had been triggered by the treatment of a slave called Frank, who had complained that he'd been ill, but he'd been flogged by the manager called um, Mr. Venn, who'd made him go into the field to work. Um, the witness is called Mr. Fournier, and he's one of the white men on the estate, and he describes what happened next. That in the morning of the five instant, John came and brought the news that Frank was dead, and the first person who spoke in the field was Sarah. She said, well, you see that... I said to them, I see you won't work none. And everyone was quiet until the bell rang for breakfast. When I came back, I found almost all the Negroes gone. I called the driver and asked where the people were. He said they are gone to their Negro houses for their breakfast. I sent the driver to the Negro houses where he stopped a short time and, went, and then went up myself. When I was on the road to go to the Negro houses, I heard the people had gone to Roseau. So that's Mr. Fournier, and he's telling um, the court what his, from what his perspective, what had happened. In fact, what the, the slaves do leave the estate, we know from a Scottish attorney who wrote his memoirs that they went walked to Roseau to complain to um, Ainsley and said they wouldn't go back to the estate until Mr. Venn, the manager, had been removed. 
But the governor dismissed their complaint, so they went off into the forest. When they were eventually captured, six of them were put on trial, but the main defendant was a man called Peter, a slave on Hillsborough estate, um, who was being described as one of the shrewdest people on the estate. He was a fisherman. Um, but Peter, he also knew the woods very well, and Peter had promised that he would lead the rangers to track down the slaves. And instead of doing that, it was clear that he'd taken them on a wild goose chase and misled them. However, he is um, put on trial, and when Mr. Venn is questioned, he says that all what Peter would say was, your time is done now, which is the title that I chose for this book. So, and here um, are the words. And the following reading that Hugh is going to read is from Peter's trial. It's both in Peter's um, words, but it also starts in reported speech. It shows both a defiant attitude, but also he does offer his services. So he's a complicated man, this Peter. The proceedings being closed, the prisoner was called upon to know what he had to say for himself. He said he did not run away. The manager sent him out to tell the Negroes to come back to their service. He's always in the habit of bringing in the runaways from the estate. When I got out, I always have vickles in my pocket. And when I meet them, I make them food and catch them and bring them home to the manager. I left the runaways telling them the manager said they must come home. They said they would not until the manager left the estate. I reckoned how many there were and came and told the manager. He told me I must stop and he would send for the hunter, meaning the sergeant of his party. After the hunter came, I took the hunter to the places where I left them. After I came there, they were already gone. He asked me if I did not know of any other place. I said, I know the big camp, but we have not men enough to go there. The last words I said were, please God, we go after them with plenty of troops. We'll make a good haul. And if the governor is pleased with me, I hope he will take me to the estate. Well, Peter um, was not taken from the estate. He was found guilty and he was executed. And he said, um, according to, to one um, witness, that he had died as an example to others. We move on now to the trial of three women. There were, um, about a third of the Maroons um, were women and children and um, they're called Adelaide, Flora and Caroline and they were accused of being runaways and I think this extract shows 
us the, um, two things. One is the reasons why they ran away and became Maroons, and also, interestingly, that once they were on the estates, the chiefs sometimes <coughs> refused to let them leave. So the, clearly the women were an important part of the Maroon society. The prisoner Adelaide, being asked what she had to say, answered she does not know how long she has been in the woods. She had been a year. She asked the captain to let her come down, but he would not. The last time the governor offered pardon to all those who would come back, she made an agreement with a boy, then in the camp to run away. She set off with him from the camp, and three days afterwards she was found by the party who had been sent after her. She was brought back to the camp and tied there until they took everyone back that they had got, who had got away. Caroline, being asked what she had to offer in her defence, said she had been absent about five years, that she was in Quashie's camp, that she had tried to escape but they would not let them. Being asked what made her run away, she said misery and sickness. Flora, being asked what she had to say, that she was quite little when she ran away, her master gave her something to carry to the bay and she fell down and lost them. When she came to the house, her master gave her a flogging. She went away then and met an old man who took her to the woods and she has been there since. That she frequently tried to get away but without success. She said she surrendered because the child was taken. She had been to get mountain cabbages when she heard firing, and as soon as the firing was over, she surrendered to the party. So I think that that's um, cl clear in those two points. Interestingly, um, that, these, that the, the, these maroon women and also some of the men defendants said that they'd wanted to leave the camps, but that they were prevented from doing so. Another important point revealed in the trials is about this symbiotic relationship between the Maroons in the forest and the men and women enslaved on the estates. The, this relationship was clearly a threat to, um, to um, the civil colonial society because, interestingly, they the um, people who are accused of aiding and abetting Maroons are actually given as severe punishments often as those who are just accused and found guilty of being Maroons. So this little reading comes from the court-martial of, um, of um, a slave called Joe who was charged on Sunday 6th of May 1814 with aiding and abetting the Maroons. In this act extract, a witness called Marie-Jeanne is questioned by the court and says that Joe had taken Wawa, which is for people who don't know, which is an indigenous wild yam, mm -hmm. to Roseau Market to sell on behalf of the Maroons. The Maroons had given, uh, had in exchange, the Maroons had got herring, tobacco and salt. These were key important things. Often they also got guns and gunpowder from the people on the estate. 
that Wawa was an important currency for the Maroons. I have to say that um, it's not, it's rarely eaten in Dominica now, mm. and it's um, not, I don't know whether Huey and um, <laughs> Kathy have I've never had eaten Wawa. Wawa. <laughs> In the, in the past. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, so, this, um, Kathy and I are going to do this little exchange, which is between the court and Marie-Jeanne, who's the witness who is on the, a, in a, on the estate, a slave from the estate. Do you know the prisoner? Yes, I do. Did you ever see the runaways in Joe's house? Yes, I cooked their victuals and held conversations. What runaways did you ever see in Joe's house? I do not know them. What number have you seen? Great many. They came every Friday. Did you ever see Joe give them saltfish? I have seen him give herring and tobacco and salt with my own eyes. Do you know how Joe got those articles? Joe leaves the runaways at his house, comes to town, buys the provisions and goes up. What do the runaways give Joe in return for these things? Wawas. Large panniers of them. Did you ever see him? Yes, often. Did they ever give you anything when they were eating? No, never. What did Joe do with the wawas? He hides them about the houses. What did Joe bring to town to purchase the provisions with? Wawas. Nothing but wawas? Nothing. Okay, so this, this little dialogue shows you that Joe is this important intermediary. Not only does he, does he sell the wawas on behalf of the Maroons, but he also gives them provisions that, they, that wouldn't have been available to them in the, in the forest. Well, Joe was found guilty and was another member um, of the defendants who was hanged. The last trial um, held under martial law, interestingly, the news of this trial goes to London. It involved a, a slave called Quashi, not the Quashi who's mentioned in um, the readings of the women, but he um, was from an estate in uh, the north of the island. When uh, he was hanged, um, found guilty and hanged, and Questions were raised in the House of Commons about his arrest, trial and execution. They asked things like, why had Quashi been arrested without the knowledge of the est his estate manager? Had martial law been declared in a legal manner? Was Ainsley fit to be a governor? Um, was the reason for Ainsley's policy a way to procure more slaves following the abolition of the slave trade? That's an interesting point in itself. Um, and there were details also, the description of um, Quash's head was, after his execution, was put in a box and taken for three days across the island to the north to be displayed up the entrance to the estate as an example to others. So by this time, by the end of the Maroon tr trials, the, really the strength of the Maroons had been broken, and in July 1814, Jacko, who is the most famous Maroons, and even Governor Ainsley somewhat romantically called him the governor of the woods, which I slightly sort of threatens his own position, I would have thought. Um, he was shot. Jacko was um, shot. He had been 
it was noted he'd been in the forest for 46 years. He was also involved in an earlier Maroon uprising. Uh, Jacko's killer was a black ranger, a slave called John Le Villou. Mm -hmm. And here we have this evidence in this memorandum which says that John Le Villou, a, a private or corporal in the ranger corps, killed Jacko, the head of or um, principal chief of the Maroons, while this Jacko was in the act of firing at him. And this is a request for the manumission of John Le Villou. Um, and on the right, we have the list of the rangers as they rec were recruited. And you can see here that there's John is there and the owner's name, J.B. Le Villou. Um, and the signature on the bottom of the memorandum is um, S. Savarin. And Dominicus, this gives... Um, um, rise to sort of rise smile for Dominicans because the present um, president of the island is a man called Charles Savarin so his ancestor was the chief of all the um, the officers were white the chief loyal um, Dominica ranger so by this time really um, the maroon power was over and um, although the white colonial society in Dominica is extremely happy about Ainsley and he's described <coughs> as the saviour of the island, um, Lord Bathurst in London, here is the distinguished Lord Bathurst, is actually not so keen on Ainsley. And just before Christmas, he sends a letter to Ainsley basically giving him the sack and he's given this job which is neither um, a promotion nor very nice it's cold basically he's given the job as governor of Cape Breton Island off the coast of Canada mm -hmm. so this is just a little bit um, to describe um, Lord Bathurst's letter to Ainsley giving him the sack the subjection of the island to martial law expressly as it appears for the purpose of trying such offenders by courts martial can admit of no sense. It was required neither for purposes of examples nor was it calculated to raise the character of the government because there was always just ground for apprehension that officers who had been actually engaged in warfare against the prisoners would not bring with them into court feelings the best fitted to make them impartial judges. In adopting the decisions of courts thus constituted, it equally behoved you to have proceeded with extreme caution. But I cannot observe that any pe peculiar care was exercised by you in the examination of their proceedings or that you evinced any great discretion in the selection of proper objects for punishment. He, Bathurst says that, he, that obviously Ainsley had zeal and good intention but yet are nevertheless compelled to admit that you have evinced so little discretion in the exercise of your authority as governor of Dominica that your return there could not be attended with any beneficial consequences. 
So that was the end of Ainsley. It was also the end of the Maroons. And really, until recently, there has been very little um, sort of awareness, consciousness about the Maroons in Dominica. Although Cathy did tell me last week that when she was a, a child um, and she'd been naughty, people would say, behave properly or Jacko will get you. So that's an intriguing aspect of the a legacy um, from, from those days. However, now there is a more um, a, a growing interest in um, the Maroons and the Maroons' history and their place in Dominican society. Um, these are the only physical legacy of the Maroons. These are Jacko's steps, which were very steep and um, narrow steps cut in the hillside from the um, river up to Jacko's camp. And now, of course, they're where um, tourists go. Here we have, this is our last image, and this shows how things are beginning now to um, the Maroons to be recognised. On the right is Bernard Wiltshire, who's a former Attorney General and um, activist, politician, um, environmentalist in Dominique. He also wrote the introduction to this book. Mm -hmm. And here he is last summer launching his um, July the 12th movement, although the name may have changed by now, mm -hmm. in which evincing and um, appreciating and commemorating the memory of the Maroons. And... The um, woman here he's pour, is pouring libations over this same well mm -hmm. in the marketplace. So there are um, movements to, um, to the, the legacy of the Maroons is not lost. Um, as Bernard says in his introduction, he mentions the book that Hugh Thomas wrote called The Slave Trade, um, in which he talks about how within the long history of Caribbean slavery, this is Hugh Thomas, the slave remains an unknown warrior, unspeaking and therefore remote and elusive. So I hope that this book somehow or other makes the enslaved and the maroons become a little less remote and a little less unspeaking. So thank you very much. Uh, I think that's extremely interesting. I think uh, if there are historians among you, you can see that uh, within this book and within those documents there is a real treasure trove, 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 trove of material looking at all aspects of uh, Dominican society but also Maroon society and, and the study of Maroons has become much more widespread over the last several decades and I think this book will be a, an important contribution to that and I think also it could be the basis for uh, further research on, on Dominica, which is much less well-known than its Jamaican and Surinamese counterparts. But I think this is a, of course I'm biased, but I think this is a particularly interesting, valuable study. As I said at the outset, I think I encourage you, of course, to, to, to purchase it um, and, and to join us all in a drink. But thank you very much. Yes.